another extra special, extra excellent, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM. We are here to close out Act 2 of Dragon Age 2. As always, I am Eric Van Allen, joined by my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. I cannot believe we are here, Ken. I cannot believe we are already at the end of Act 2. Can you believe we got here this fast? We're almost done with this game. Kind of, sort of, honestly. I don't want to be done with this game. And, and we're, we still have so many wonderful guests to bring on and talk about this game. Like today, the wonderful Amy Hart is back in here, is back here to talk about Dragon Age. Hello! Amy, I don't want this to end, Amy. <laughs> I, I, I don't want you guys to end. <laughs> Dragon Age 2 is so good! Like, I'm getting emotional already. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting a little tore up myself. It's like I, I, I had a moment. So we we took last week off, so that way we could kind of reset, have kind of a a personal week for ourselves here at Normandy FM, and. I had spent the whole week away from... I totally meant to catch up on Dragon Age 2, and I ended up spending the whole week away from Dragon Age 2. So last night, I'm sitting down, I'm getting ready, I'm like, okay, I gotta play the last few uh, bits of this mission to get through the content that we need to do for tomorrow's podcast. And I boot up Dragon Age 2, and this game is still just so stinking good. <laughs> it's, it feels like... Especially in the time and place that we are playing it right now, it feels really important because even though it gets really messy in some places with the way it handles things, uh, a lot of the topics that it's talking about, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's it's trying to deal with the ideas of like systemic oppression of of people within a society within a system i can't believe i already went to <laughs> we live in a society <laughs> um but it's it's felt like a game that's very important to be playing right now and very important to be understanding in context of of what's going on in the world at large right now um today we are talking about all that remains and literally all that remains of act two so that means the the mission all that remains as well as following the cune and demands of the cune as well as uh to catch a thief which is isabella's uh i I wouldn't really call it her companion mission it's more like uh her her additional mission that happens in this game uh that you do kind of need to do if you want to have her as a companion (laughs) past this point and and why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want isabella as a companion that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) There are some choices that you can make in this game that uh, it's like when we did our PAX South panel and we asked an entire room full of people, uh, is there anyone here who actually didn't cure the genophage? And there was just one dude. (laughs) There was one dude. (laughs) And honestly, bless that dude for standing up in a crowd of what quickly became hostile people (laughs) and admitting, (laughs) admitting to that much. Respect to that man even though he's a monster. <laughs> Still respect the monster. Um, and let's start with, with All That Remains, because it's kind of a weird... I found it to be a really weird mission, and maybe it's the part of this whole section that I'm going to have the most nitpicky things about, but um, throughout the entire 
uh, the entirety of Act Two, you're kind of getting the sense that your mother, Leandra, is is trying to move on in some way. She's still grieving over the loss of your sibling uh, at the end of the previous act, but she kind of makes some references about, oh, you know, maybe I'll start seeing somebody and stuff like that. She's kind of living that that high town life now. Uh, and then all of a sudden uh, you, you show up at your estate and Gamlin's hanging out, <laughs> mooching off your stuff, but Leandra's gone did not show up for their weekly meeting and um there's uh Bo Bodan says uh Bodan sorry that was my Texan <laughs> Bo Bodan says uh she's probably off with her suitor who happened to send her some white lilies dun dun dun, dun. dun. <laughs> oh my uh, god <laughs> Yeah, so if you remember that quest we did earlier, as well as the quest we did in Act 1, uh, White Lilies are kind of the calling card of this serial killer that we've been trying to track down. Uh, so at this moment, if you've done those quests, you can kind of have that that moment where you're like, oh, oh my god, I know what this is. Mm. Uh, and and Gamlin <laughs> will even be like, hey now, calm down, it's probably not that. Uh, but he goes off to be useless somewhere else. Uh, it's at this point... Now, Ken, we talked about this. I want to. I want to hear what happened with you. I could have gone to talk to Gascard Dupuy mm-hmm. uh, because I let him survive in in my playthrough. However, I think I either missed the quest marker that tells me to go talk to him, or I just missed the point where somebody tells me, "Hey, you should probably go try to find him. He's over in Darktown." And so I just never went to do that. And so I did not mm. have this option. I just kind of went through what I assume you went through to find Leandro. Yeah, yeah um, you uh, you start by going to Lowtown where Gamlin says that he's going to be looking to go see if she, maybe they missed each other, like him leaving his house, her coming to it. Um, and then there's this kid that's like, oh, I might have seen something, and whatever, and like, you can either pay him, or I think you can like intimidate him as well, and uh, mm-hmm. he says that he saw her kind of like help a man who seemed to be like injured in some way, and that they were going down through Lowtown, and we, we basically have to follow the blood trail. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and you end up doing this thing where you kind of track the blood all through Lowtown, and you eventually get to the foundry, where a lot of this stuff kicks off. But Amy, I wanted to bounce it over to you. Like, obviously this is the first time we've had you on for Dragon Age 2. And I'm kind of interested as to why this was the section of game you wanted to talk about, as well as like what you thought of some of this serial killer mystery, murder mystery stuff that Dragon Age 2 is trying to do here. Um, well, it's funny because uh, Act 2 is in my opinion, anyway, Dragon Age 2's strongest act. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It starts off, you know, Hawk, you know, actually being a noble, and then, um, like, going through the stages of, like, becoming well-known in the city. And so I really liked Act 2 a lot, and I feel like um, it's the act where Hawk really becomes... Uh, not just uh, a person who's trying to get by uh, and survive, 
but become someone who very much is significant in to in Kirkwall. And I really like when I was uh, playing Dragon Age 2 for the first time, I really liked Leandra. Uh, and she reminds me a lot of uh, my own mother mm. and so when All That Remains came up like obviously the first time you're like ah well I remember just being like oh she's okay she's like she's gonna be fine and everything like that and then All That Remains happens and you're like oh well this is not going exactly how I imagined it but uh, actually I I actually did go to Gascard because Dragon Age 2, while perfect in almost every single way, <laughs> <laughs> like doesn't bother to give you a marker on your map for mm. Dark Town. It's just like go to Low Town. So now, but I remember very distinctly of finding Gascard in Dark Town in when I played back when I was a kid. So I was like, I went to go see Gascard, and he, he pretty much is like, oh, I he admits that he could have found the killer all along and uh because in the previous quest where you save a woman from what you assume is uh him torturing her or whatever i think she's called a lesser you uh gascard uh he finds out that um oh he tells the group that he can track a lesser and then track and reveal the location of the killer and it's really good scene because it's you see like the voice acting really like i mean the voice acting for hawk has always been pretty good like no like i love i love sarcastic hawk not the best but because diplomatic slash rage is pretty good but also yeah you find out that uh gascard can lead you to the foundry and it's the same foundry that you went into in act one where you found that hand the net's mm-hmm. hand yeah. and but he has to do it through blood magic and um i can't remember who was with me at the time but i had fenris and i knew i knew <laughs> i was like sorry 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 guy sorry <laughs> like just please let me get away from this i can't remember who he said anything or not but you basically use blood magic to find uh leandra and uh that's where it all kicks off because i don't know uh if with the boy i don't know if gascar joined you eventually or not he he does not does he does he not oh okay well yeah Yeah. gascar came with me in this one and uh that's how the the quest started for me Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting because I feel like it it it's cool that there is this way to do the quest that is maybe not pointed out to you directly is is not like highlighted and shown like hey go do this and it ends up being this really interesting tie-in because Gascard as a character turns out is super involved in the things that are going on with mm-hmm. uh, this this killer and you can ultimately miss that if if you decide to just not go do that stuff like I did um, and, mm-hmm. and you just kind of go for the normal uh, way of doing things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it also has like some unique stuff tied in because once again it has the the tie-ins with like Varric being able to uh, like kill Gasgard before he even betrays the party and stuff like that because as we eventually find out that um, Gascard, I, he's the former 
apprentice of uh, of the killer whose name is Quentin that we eventually yeah. discover. Um, so once we get to the foundry, we find um, in a secret passageway, in a secret hideout, there is this whole like living space set up, and in there is like this really creepy painting of someone who kind of vaguely looks like your mother. Uh, and once once we get further in, we find Quentin, uh, who has been uh, doing his work, where he's basically been stitching together uh, pieces of women to recreate his dead wife using necromancy. Uh, and Leandra has become the base for what that is. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a ship of Theseus situation where it's hard to tell whether there was just things like grafted onto her or whether Leandra is wholly there or not in the first place, but it is essentially Leandra. Um, and it's at that point that we got to really mess up Quentin because we're not happy about this. <laughs> but yeah, yeah uh, Gas- Gascard uh, can also potentially then turn on you um, unless you talk him out of it and and get him to like team up with you or you just have Varric like kill him (laughs) it's uh so all all of that all that's really interesting and i i find that stuff cool and i also think it does a lot of what bioware does best in dragon age 2 which is like play with the normal structure of what these games do like you know it's it's a largely combatless uh, mission up until you get into like the heart of the killer's lair and you start finding some demons and stuff but most of the actual quest is about following the blood trails and conversations and things like that um which is always cool but it's it's once we get to the end here and we've we finally revealed the true killer and we we kill them and we we then talk to leandra we have this big like deathbed moment um it's i keep trying to decide whether i like the way that they ended up resolving leandra's plot line in this right because her entire character in dragon age 2 is just suffering and (laughs) yeah unmitigated suffering and it's it's suffering that's seemed to meant to like you know you're feeling really good about where you're at you know you're moving up in the world but your mother is super depressed and sad because your sibling's been taken off to the to the circle or you know you she's she's just kind of hanging out like you know you're walking out of your estate and she's like oh you know i'm thinking about dating again like you and that pirate gal and stuff like that is i i still don't know if they did enough for me to like care about this character death i don't know if that i feel that i feel like that sounds Hmm. cold but playing it again this time (laughs) i was just sitting there and kind of struck by like how often did i even talk to leandra in this act like how often did she come up as a character that wasn't like a very video gamey way of involving her and it kind of felt like the whole scene ended up revolving more around how sad hawk was hawk the character was and Mm. then the thing that then spins out from there which is you can talk to your companions like Aveline and and your uh your love interest and stuff about 
how sad Hawk is and how tough it is and all that is very good. But I was just kind of sitting there like all this feels very in service of Hawk and not in service mm-hmm. of providing an interesting resolution to Leandra, the character. I mean, the she ends up getting killed by an almost non sequitur because it's like, oh, hey, remember how she was thinking about dating again? Well, she dated the serial killer. Whoops. <laughs> um, she even got a veil yeah. on her face in that scene as well. She's like, yeah. she's about to get married. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's uh, creepy. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm um, interested to hear, what do you think about the kind of the resolution to Leandra's arc here, Amy? Um... Well, Dragon Age 2 came out in 2011, and it's the way it handled Leandra is still very prominent in 2020, because I think it speaks to a much bigger issue of mothers in video games. And um, because, like you said, even in Act 1 and Act like act two you don't speak to leandra a lot it seems like a very like a you give a lot to the relationship with leandra but you don't get anything back as a both as a player and as like hawk because in act one you like oh you go and clear out uh the mansion of for, like full of slavers and you know leandra's like oh that's great i'm gonna petition and everything and then act two comes along and like you said she's like oh, I'm going to date again. And um, if I remember right, she does apologize for essentially blaming you for the sibling's demise, but I believe that's in Act 1 now that I've said that. Mm. But um, yeah, in Act 2, she's pretty much like, oh yeah, uh, your romance, or and it's good to be a hawk and a male again. And she's very much portrayed as someone who's haunted by her past like if i like playing dragon age 2 now and looking back at leandra's story it feels very much like she regrets uh leaving nobility to go on this ragtag adventure with malcolm uh Mm. your your father uh but she obviously got good things out of it like uh, carver uh bethany and hawk um, but it feels very much like she wants to go back to a time where she was who she originally was because mm. even MP- NPCs in the Chantry and everything are like, oh, Leandra was a brilliant woman and everything like that. And then she like threw it all away for love and everything. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like like that's the end scene for Leandra where she's like oh i'm going to be real father and you're mm. bethany and carver again and it's like it's sad because leandra d- didn't need to die because i feel like hawk is already at their lowest in the way like emotionally mm, speaking yeah. because like depending on your choices hawk can literally not like lose both siblings and mm. i i think that's a problem with Dragon Age 2, I mean, God forbid there was a problem with Dragon Age 2, and I, <laughs> I, I, if anyone's listening, that this is that this is actually me saying this, but um, I think one of the problems with Dragon Age 2 is that it really does try to give uh, a co- like a cohesive narrative as for Hawk, but it doesn't like the scene at the end where you grieve with your love interest or Aveline is really good. 
but it needed a lot more of those kind of scenes mm. to lead up to it because because Hawk doesn't get the chance to grieve and it like I think if there was more scenes where Hawk had like family time which I think Legacy does quite a bit mm. but even then that's like added DLC added and but I like as a base game, if you only have the base game, you're kind of feeling like, oh, well, I have a family and I've lost them all. And I mean, you care about Leandro to an extent that, oh, God, it's sad for Hawk. But like like you said, it's Leandro's character is kind of squandered for Hawk's potential. And I think that's really sad because even in 2020, we still don't have a lot of good mother figures in video games. Mm. So that's how I feel about Leandra, like mm. now especially more than ever. Yeah. yeah. Can Can how about you? Like, where were you at at this point in the story? Uh, I was a vocabulary mind because, like, in spite of all of my everything, everything negative that's gonna come after this, I really liked the scene, like the final scene with Leandra. I felt like it was at least well done. I felt like it did hit the right emotional points I needed it to for a you know a scene where your mother was dying and mm-hmm. um and i liked you know the follow-up thing was like even though fenris and i are not technically in a relationship right now he still came like still showed that he cared and like tried to have like you know fumbling as he does like he tried to have that moment of being like i'm at least here for what it for what it is worth um but it ultimately it just kind of feels like since the beginning, since, like, we left Lothering, Dragon Age 2 has been finding ways to, like, pull Hawk's family out of the picture as in whatever ways it could. Um, mm-hmm. I think generally, Leandra is probably the one that gets kind of, like, the most lead-in to that happening. Um, but it feels like they are trying to, in, like, the most <laughs> like, the most violent kind of like, gross way they can, like, put the forefront on, like, this is your family now. This found family is your family now. And, because, mm-hmm. you know, literally everyone else has been taken from you, but then you have, like, this scene with Aveline, and you have this scene with your love interest, where everyone's like, you know, we are still here. Like, you can't even go talk, to, like, to my knowledge, you can't go talk to your sibling about this, like, at any point, because the next time I saw Carver, he was, like, he made some snide comment about it, but, like, he and I had not spoken like gamlin like says later like oh somebody should tell carver but i'll do that you don't have to worry about that i was like i would like to do that like that is something that i would Mm. like to have been able to say and you know in in the scenario that i was in where carver was a templar like probably would have gone very well probably not have been a very happy scene but it's still like i would like the onus to be on me to talk to my brother about what happened to her mother um i don't know like at this point Gamlin is all we've got. Yeah. Yeah. And our Mabari. And our Mabari. Yeah, that was like a weird wrinkle about the way that this all kind of wraps up. Is I do agree that I think the scenes that you get with with Aveline and with your love interests are very good. Like the one with Meryl was was really really good. Um, but the the way it ends with that gambling scene and he like 
first of all, he just goes through all five stages and just foists all of his emotional burdens upon you because he is incapable of dealing with anything by himself. Because mm. um, you're like, he's like, how did she die? Whatever. And, and you like tell him because I'm like, I don't know. You say you did he, tell him? What? Sorry? So you, so you did tell Gamlin what happened? Oh, yeah. Look, okay. Mm, okay. This is this is me personally. If somebody asks a question like that, I'm just like, you want to know? And they're like, yes, then I'm going to tell them because I assume that they have the emotional maturity to understand they're about to hear something that they may not like. But apparently Gamlin is a small child because then he's like, oh, mm. I wish you hadn't told me that. Ah. <laughs> like oh my god dude just get out you're not even helping um because then he starts like blaming you and stuff and then Mm. um and yeah and then for me too i i had bethany in the circle i was like oh someone should tell bethany and gamlin's like i'll do it don't bother yourself and i'm like why are you pissed at me and like why am i not going like what the hell is going on here oh i I, gamlet sucks man i don't like gamlin (laughs) um it's i i think this is a good quest it just is the the point of it that it it ends up being this thing where leandra is killed to give hawk more more motivation and Mm -hmm. and not like directed motivation i think that's the thing that gets me is it wasn't like Mm. this then turns into oh well actually leandra was killed by the canary so now hawk has like a good reason to want to fight the Arishok and things like that which is what we're building up to at this point um she's just kind of killed by a blood mage and then the game mm. takes some pretty low blows with this once we get into act three mm-hmm. um to kind of it, and it ends up striking me as like almost this was their way of making sure that there was something really bad that happened with a mage so you would want to be like oh maybe magic is bad and we need Mm -hmm. more control over it Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't hate that idea but i just wanted to see it handled in a way that didn't feel it like like leandra's leandra's death if they're going to kill leandra it needs to feel earned in a way and it needs to feel like it's not just serving like some reasoning to make hawk give a shit about something like i, I wish there had been more scenes like, like we like amy was talking about earlier where maybe there were more scenes with leandra like just things happening as you were going about quests maybe as you're like doing something in the market you're like you walk by her and she's hanging out in the market and you can kind of talk to her and you get that sort of little narrative hit where it's like oh yeah i'm seeing someone he's been sending me flowers and stuff like that you can like build up that tension that way too and stuff like that it's i don't know there's it's it sucks because i i don't want to just sit here and like hindsight a game that i think has been very good about its narrative up to this point um but it this is one of like the points where i felt like that it could have landed so much harder and felt a little less like a reach uh and even then, I'm, like, critiquing something that I still really enjoy. <laughs> so, um... What makes it beautiful. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so then we we head on to what is essentially the, the conclusion of Act 2. We've got some uh, Kunari missions 
that that mostly deal with the air shock and then also isabella how does isabella get involved you ask don't worry we'll get there (laughs) um so after all that remains is finished and we've kind of gotten through the the emotional turmoil of the hawk family um we need to go talk with the viscount it turns out that his son seamus has decided that he is going to convert to the to the coon the coon the, I, can, I can never pronounce this right it's like they they have a way of saying it. it's like the, the they put an emphasis on the q in a way that's like the q it's really <laughs> weird um he's going to convert and join the canary and uh obviously that's going to be a problem for multiple reasons because that's the viscount's son becoming uh, a member of the canary and he's already kind of been in shaky water with that. As as we will remember from Act 1, uh, Seamus was already kind of running off and learning their, their ways in the past. Um, mm-hmm. And also that would then turn Seamus into a potential bargaining chip should the Aeroshock have any sort of disagreement with the Viscount. And also it would cause problems for the political court as well. So it just, it becomes a real, real bad way uh so we gotta go talk to the air shock and try and see if we can uh figure this one out um we we get to the air shock and he's basically like look seamus is converting um of his own volition it's his choice he wants to do it um and and he, he doesn't really care about how the viscount feels uh a letter had shown up apparently prior to us getting to the air shock that wanted to arrange a meeting with Seamus and it's going to be at the Kirkwall Chantry in the middle of the night um so we at this point Ken did you go and talk to the Viscount before you went to the Chantry at this point I'm actually following along in our little guide on the wiki I did not know that you could do that I hadn't thought of that that hadn't occurred to me like if you know, when we are told that he's gone to the Chantry and, like, you're like, oh, who could possibly have orchestrated this? Yeah. I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> I probably needed to head there real quick. Yeah, I, I felt a sense of urgency, and I did not think that, oh, I guess I could stop by the Viscount and say something before I go over there. It is, like, it's not that far away, so. Um, I didn't even know you could do that, so that's something new. Yeah, we learn something new about this game every day. It's amazing. Yeah, it uh, is. We we head into the chantry and discover. Bum bum bum. Seamus <laughs> is dead. He has been executed. Um. It's, oof. Um. Things things have gone bad. And and who else has orchestrated this? But uh, good old sister Karen herself. Uh, sister Patrice, um, mother Patrice, as she would tell you. Sorry, look, she's always Sister Karen to me. All right, um, in her bizarre, twisted, racist ass mind, uh, Patrice—I keep almost calling her Karen too. Uh, Patrice has has determined that with. Seamus dead she will finally be able to whip the believers up into a frenzy and there's some really there's some really good lines here that really cut 
deep that I was like screenshotting as I was playing. And I think I recently cleared out my screenshots folder. So I think I lost them, but um, she says something about like, um, they need to, they say they have faith, but they need to prove it. They need to stake their lives on how much faith they truly have for, for the maker and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And she's yeah. just going into this like real zealot, like zealotry comments that are just like oh man like she has really gone down the rabbit hole in the time between like act one when she was trying to frame uh the canary back then to where she is now that she is willing to murder the viscount's son to set this up um yeah and so after we have dealt with an angry mob that patrice has has uh spurred up against us um we um we we end up having a chat with patrice and the grand cleric elthina i actually i'm just now reading this i did not know that you could also um support varnell during offered and lost and agree to help patrice frame the canary Mm -hmm. for seamus's murder (laughs) holy Holy crap that is like some deep that's evil hawk <laughs> that's some sabotage the genophage shit like um wow i could never yeah i could never like, wow it's just like one of those options that you just don't do like, I, like but i also find it amazingly impressive that that is in the game to begin with like that option is just there and most mm. people probably don't know it exists because that's some evil shit you gotta do to get there <laughs> but huh interesting anyways since we're all good people we fought the righteous mob (laughs) and uh (laughs) the grand cleric shows up and patrice basically tries to pin seamus's death on hawk and the canaries basically like they did this they they killed them um and the grand cleric's basically like look i know what you've been up to patrice i know what's been going on um you basically expose patrice for what she's been doing how long she's been doing it for for me personally i'm standing there like grand cleric i've been telling you about this shit Mm. for years you could have been doing things about this a long time ago look we're gonna really be getting into it in act three but this was really the point where i was like grand cleric do you even do anything like (laughs) what's your day to day (laughs) well What's your what's on your job description that you're supposed to be doing that you're not dealing with with this stuff? She um, just waits for the maker to tell her stuff. Like, I'm pretty sure in like at one she's like, yeah, um, I just like she says something along the lines of, oh, she do does what the maker wants her to do, and I'm like, and even Isabella's like, I'm gonna use that excuse for like next time I'm late, and I'm like, yeah. what? Ah, Alfina is such a. I have complex feelings about her, but most of them go to you are fucking useless. <laughs> yeah, that's that's been something that again, not not to like get too far ahead of ourselves where we are in in the game, but at the beginning of Act Three, there is like a confrontation that you end up settling that Elthina kind of just walks in and all sides to to neutral and sends everyone off on their way. And it's just like you you get the impression that in Elthina's mind as long as the current power structure remains as it is she's happy and she's just going to kind of keep doing things that will maintain that current power structure and mm. nothing else and that was the point where I was like man watching that like playing this back in the day I would be like oh Elthina's like 
calming everyone down that's mm. great good job grand cleric and nowadays i'm like oh my god get off your useless ass let's solve something for once <laughs> instead of just telling everyone to to take a breather and go like eat the orange slices and capri suns we're done with the soccer game for today like oh my god um so anyways back to where we are in act two <laughs> um <laughs> althina does actually do something and and strips patrice of her title as mother and is like we're you're going to have to face punishment and as she starts to head back upstairs a canary archer suddenly appears and uh let's say takes care of the trial problem <laughs> uh, ex- expedites the process um and uh that's that's that and then the viscount dumar shows up and, and is super sad and uh is is basically like you know what are we going to do this is this is terrible like how can we do this um and and that's that and that there we go things keep getting worse in in kirkwall um i i want to i want to move us along expeditiously as well like the canary archer did but uh just real <laughs> quick um amy we haven't really talked with you about how you feel about the canary conflict as it was and ken and i have talked a lot about how we feel the way that the, the tension between the city and the Canaries played out over the game uh, leading up mm. to the final confrontation. But how do you feel about like the, the Canary storyline in general? Um, it's so weird playing it again in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, like you said before, it's very relevant to today's climate. Um, mm-hmm. in, in my eye anyway, I feel like, um, it's, it's, it's very obvious to me that, uh, any from the wiki as well that um, the 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 Kune, uh, and uh, their religious sect is apparently, from what I've seen from the wiki, is based on uh, um, Islam. Apparently, hmm. and mm-hmm. um, apparently, so to have Patrice. And others kind of like whip up like zealotry to try and target them. Like it's very hard not to be like, wow, no wonder the fucking canary just went crazy on your asses. Like later on, that said, um, I find it, I find like I have very complicated feelings about the the canary because obviously, I don't believe in kind of like forced conversion by any means. So, my feelings on the Canary are very complicated, and I feel like uh, once I actually finish the game, uh, I will so I will have like more of a thorough understanding of the Canary. But from what I've read of the comics and everything, uh, it's hard for me to be like the Canary were all good, the Canary were all bad. It's like very, it's too complex to put like you know to give like a black and white kind of thing about it mm-hmm. but um do i think that they were treated well by kirk or no i don't i think like uh the chantry well 
Delet within the Chantry, and like we talked about Alfina, Alfina not doing anything. I thought Alfina knowing is even worse because Alfina knowing <laughs> it's happening under her, and she's like, "No, it's fine. I'll just do it when I want to." Is like, like you literally could have been like, you could have stood up against this Zealotry and be like, "Hey, we accept all religions here." Like, I know that the everyone in Fades is very pro Chantry for the most part. Uh, but I feel like even how the Viscount handled it was awful because Seamus, all Seamus was doing at the time was just hanging out with uh, Kadari, who I'm still unsure. I don't know if uh, you and Ken got these vibes, but I was un- I was unsure if he was in love with the Kadari in Act One, but. I don't know. I think that's maybe me just getting weird vibes, but I feel like it, it it may be, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> there was like a well, there was like a line that like referenced it in sort of like a very derogatory way, but I mm-hmm. he didn't mm-hmm. dispute it, so I never really I didn't personally like read any more into it with like it it floated out there. So mm. yeah, it's it's interesting. I hmm. actually I did look it up uh, while while you were talking. Um, the only time there was any reference to Islam in terms of Kunari was that at one point uh, David Gator, who was one of the writers on this game, uh, nicknamed them uh, the militant Islamic Borg, which he later clarified. Oh God! Was, yeah, which he later clarified. <laughs> Never mind then. To the Kunari's relationship with other nations of Thetis, not specifically uh, in terms of Islam. Um, which okay, I, never mind then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I, I read that night. I too was also like, oh, you need to clarify that, man. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, my bad. There, I actually did no idea it was it was from that. There, there are certainly elements of like I can see I can see elements of Islam in it. Um, I can see elements of like Buddhism. Uh, I can certainly see. I know that one of like the prevailing theories is that uh, this is supposed like the the Chantry is supposed to represent like. Uh, the actual crusades in real life obviously as we get to dragon age inquisition that analogy becomes a lot less subtle <laughs> but yeah um in in that situation then you know either the either the canary or like Tevinter could then be considered um like one of the the middle eastern states or whatever um mm-hmm. i mean look fantasy rarely ever has to reach far to draw comparisons to like that that era in europe because it so frequently does uh, mm-hmm. but the thing i find interesting about the canary um and you brought up that they were like they have a lot of real world parallels but um in the case of the canary they are still like an outsider group to the issues within kirkwall like they are mm-hmm. they are theoretically a transient group they are going to come into kirkwall and at some point they are going to leave kirkwall and so all in all that time they suddenly become this uh force that makes kirkwall uneasy and they're unable to like the citizens of kirkwall are unable to really deal with their feelings about that and in the same way that they feel about the fereldans um and and even like as we get further into this quest line, uh, we discover that the elves start to ban with them too. We start to see that there is this, um, it, it becomes like an immigrant narrative where uh, the the citizens of Kirkwall who feel like Kirkwall is theirs to call home 
versus those who have found their way to Kirkwall as a safe haven and are now feeling rejected by the people who call Kirkwall their own. Um, mm-hmm. And the tension that 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 builds there, and then the Canari provide the Canari provide a place of belonging separate from the Kirkwall citizenry and end up becoming this force that says like we can run Kirkwall better than the, like we are more accepting and we will take care of the people in Kirkwall unlike the people who actually run it um mm-hmm. so i find i find them as a force within the city really interesting because once we get into the mages versus templar stuff that's dealing with like the systemic issues not just in Kirkwall but throughout Thetis right like this is a thing that we've been dealing with all throughout Dragon Age and it's finally starting to like come to a head within this single pocket case of Kirkwall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Canari thing is the thing that I I feel ends up being unique to the setting of Dragon Age Two and feeling very um, I, I don't know if endemic or like bespoke is like the word I'm looking for, but it is the it's the conflict that does not necessarily play out into the larger dragon age narrative and so it feels like dragon age 2 has more ownership over that conflict and portrays Mm. it in a much more nuanced and subtle light like the air shock is supposed to be a villain like he he is a villain theoretically or at least an antagonist but he ends up becoming this force that once we get further in like I was sitting there, I was like, I agree with everything this dude is saying right now. <laughs> like, he is the one who is out here making sense right now, and everyone yeah. else, like, I'm Hawk is starting to come around to the side of the Canari now. Um, so... Which, which Aveline doesn't like. <laughs> no, no. Which, surprised by that too, we'll get to that. Um, before before we head off to do the final mission of act two we do have one quick side quest aveline shows up at our house the hawk estate uh and tells us that there is a a group of elves that have taken asylum with the canari like the city guard were trying to take them hostage and the elves uh have holed up with the canari it's creating another big issue at the same time isabella has shown up and wants help from hawk as well it turns out that the relic has been found the one that she's been looking for for ages to try and uh give back to castillon so she can you know not get murdered by castillon <laughs> um and so obviously we're good people and we decide to go help isabella out real quick also because we have the um the benefit of knowing where this eventually leads which is that once we get to the place where the relic is supposed to be handed off we find a group of Canari, um, and they're like, you will hand the relic back over, and we end up having to fight them to death, and then after that, Hawk's like, hey, Isabella, what's up? She's like, uh, well, that relic that I keep, like, keep mentioning to you, the one I kept bringing up, uh, that's actually a tome written by, uh, Kozlin, who is the founder of the Kuhn, and, uh, <laughs> what, like, Casual. the most revered Canari in history, and yeah. uh, it's the thing that the era shock has been looking for, and Isabella stole it from the Canari, and that's like the whole reason that it's the whole reason that the Canari are in Kirkwall to begin with, and also yep. the whole reason that they haven't left yet. It's because Isabella stole this tome. Uh, 
<laughs> Isn't she great, Eric? Uh, like, she's it... great. Okay, look at this. <laughs> Honestly, there's a really good line when you're in this thing because you you basically can then, can then spend all these investigate topics being like, "Oh my god, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? <laughs> Holy crap!" And you get to one, and I think. Uh, she she says something like yeah it's all over this tome and, and like all this is over this book and hawk has like basically the option of either being like you are such a moron or being like actually aggressive about it or if you take the sarcastic one you're just kind of like oh, i never knew the canary were so interested in their reading <laughs> you can just kind of have like the sarcastic <laughs> reaction to it and i was like of course i'm going to do like yes isabella you're being an idiot but also you're such a good idiot <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, yeah oh uh, it, it's a really good scene uh, yeah um ken how are you feeling i know like i i'm obviously biased because i love isabella she is great she's hilarious um i love that she's just been quietly keeping the secret the whole time so that's why she keeps disappearing when you go to visit the air shock and all that um, that is so funny, by the way. <laughs> uh, I got some, actually, I left left the oven not, on. Uh, I'm going to go make sure to take care of that real quick. It's um, not even subtle. Um, it's not even subtle, and it's fucking great. Um, <laughs> Ken, how do you feel about this? <laughs> from that, from that, mm, <laughs> I have a feeling we're about to have some takes. <laughs> it's okay, so, I'm ready. <laughs> so as, as it pertains to this particular moment, I'm just like, Realizing that the person who, the person amongst your party who like seemingly doesn't give a shit about anything is also responsible for everything that's going on. It's a nice twist because like, you know, we've talked before, like Isabella is technically optional. So mm-hmm. in general, she's kind of hands off when she is here just because like that's the nature of ga- making a video game where a character needs to be able to be plucked in and out of any scene that they're in. Um, so like I get, I like that in a way, and like because I play the sarcastic hawk, I like I imagine that he is at this point just like basically laughing with her at the absurdity of what they've all gotten themselves into. Um, <laughs> I have more complicated thoughts on what's going to happen at the end of the scene, which we can, which we have vaguely hinted at yeah, in okay. previous episodes. We can, we can we can skip along ahead. We go in. There's there's a handoff that's going down between the Canari and some Tevinter mages. Uh, the person who has the tome basically books it and as you are left to fight all the parties that have gathered to collect the tome, Isabella runs off after the guy with the tome uh, named Wall-Eyed Sam by the way, which is a really strange <laughs> name now that I'm I love at him. It. That's a pirate name. Uh, yeah, but Wall-Eyed? Like, I don't, like I don't know what that fish? means. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but after we have cleared cleared out the the meeting place we head back out and we find uh wall-eyed sam dead and a letter on his body where isabella basically says like hey i took i took the tome and i'm leaving and and depending on on how you respond to the way because she asks you once we find the tome what are you going to do with it are you going to hand it over to the canary or go let me have it so i can give it to castillon and not die um she either is like i'm sorry that i'm leaving um or like I'm taking this so I don't die. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, that's 
and, and you're basically kind of left with an Aveline. I, I had Aveline in my party for this, which was also just great um, because she has <laughs> just the best. I, I love Reaction. her and Isabella's relationship. It's really good. Um, hmm. She's just like that bitch ran off and now we gotta go face the canary if he ended my god it's just the most like oh it's it's really Perfect. good um aveline whoever aveline's voice actress was i will look it up so i can shout them out personally in a moment but they nailed every voice line in this mission so well um but yeah ken you were saying uh you you had thoughts about how this kind of ends so Isabella leaves and whether or not she's going to come back depends on the state like how far into either relationship whether the friendship or rivalry she's gotten I think it is you know it's obviously well within that the realm of that character for her to leave and decide to come back or not depending on whether she actually gives a shit about the people she's been with all this time um mm. What frustrates me is that because Isabella is, one, an optional character who does not necessarily foreshadow the ways in which, like, she, the ways in which she will very, very suddenly become critical to the plot, and also is a character who doesn't give a shit one way or another about almost anything that's going on, she is short of like having her with you at all times, at least in Act 1 specifically, she is very difficult to get to that threshold because mm-hmm. you know, by design, like, she doesn't care about anything. So like, you can go through several missions and not get friendship or rivalry with her either way. And by the time that you get to the point where you're like, oh, I have run out, I'm running out of quests to like take her on to get to that point. Like this is coming from a person that has played this game several times and like knew this was coming for the playthrough that we did for Normandy FM. By the time that it occurred to me, I was like, oh, I probably need to be, like, investing time with Isabella as a party member so she's with me to gain friendship points. I had run out. Like, I... Uh-huh. It wasn't even, like, that our relationship was, like, wishy-washy and, like, she was kind of going back and forth. It was like, no, I literally did not have the time or the quests that, like, even got into her field of vision of things that she even moderately gave a shit about. So... Mm-hmm. It's a, like I said in the other episode, like, it doesn't really matter for the the show that is Normandy FM whether or not she is still in my party, if I can still talk about the stuff as it happened, kind of, like, dissect it, even if she's not, like, even if I'm not necessarily playing through that content. But in retrospect, it's, there are a lot of cards being dealt t- t- for the player here to not... Like, for this to basically sneak up on them in a way that, like, they can't prepare for or sort of, like, even, you know... Like, it's not fixable at this point. Like, I... When I got the level of friendship that I needed to get the Question and Belief quest in this quest where I was being like, okay, we can keep it. Like, you can keep it. And then, like, I still got the fucking thing showing up in my journal of, like, unfinished quests... Go see Isabella. Damn it, she's not fucking there, so I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like a, it's a very, very good concept and a very fitting thing for Isabella as a character and her arc in this game of like, kind of determining like, because like you know whether you're in a friendship or rivalry with her, like the end goal of her is to start giving a shit about shit 
whether it's because she cares about the people that she's with or because she has kind of been made to feel like she needs to have a conscience and, like, care about whether something is the right thing to do or not. Um, so, like, it makes sense for her to come back later, regardless of whichever one you're going to, and I think it's a really strong arc for that character, but the systems in place don't feel... Like, they don't feel like they match up to what's actually going on in the text. Like, if you wanted to make question and belief... Like, they make... Whether you do her question and belief quest or not, sort of like the marker for whether she's going to come back or not, I feel like it should be unlocking it. Like, that just seems like the thing to do. Like, even if, like, the actual conversation that happens in there is where she's kind of like, okay, I need to give a shit and I need to be able to trust people or whatever. Maybe, like, even specifically if you unlock it through this quest, like, to catch, to catch a thief. Like, you get to the point where you've solidified your relationship to a point where she does feel one way or another about, you know, mm-hmm. her friends and the situation she's put herself in. But, I don't know. Fuck, fuck me. What does it matter now? She's gone, and nothing I can do about it. Because I don't... I have it on console, which means I can't mod it and fucking go into <laughs> my save file. I was say, so that's... That's what I ended up doing was I was in the same situation. I think I was literally, I, I looked at the value. I'm on PC, and I think I looked at the value. I was literally like five points off from exactly, That's exactly what happened to me. Of, and so I, I made a call. I was like, okay, you know what? I can either, I still was able to go do Legacy, so I could have gone and done Legacy and gotten some Isabella points that way and just, you know, secured it. But it was like... 10 30 at night last night and i was like look i want to like <laughs> do this expeditiously <laughs> so um i just enabled the console and by the way uh if you've never like messed around if you have dragon age 2 on pc like if you just picked it up from that steam sale or whatever and you want to be really impressed by like dev tools dev console uh hop into the hop into the dev console for dragon age 2 because it actually plays out like a um like a conversation wheel it's it's really weird so this is going to get a little nerdy for a second but if you've ever used the console in a video game normally like the command prompt pops up at the top of the window you type things in and you hit run and it'll do different things um in this one there's no command prompts you basically have to type it perfectly without knowing what text you're typing but once you run certain debug scripts, it'll pop up with a little box. It'll be like a dialogue wheel, and it'll be like, okay, uh, Isabella, what do you want to do with Isabella? And it can be like, I want to change whether she has been given a certain gift or has a certain level of companion armor or has a certain level of affection. And then you go into that. It's like, okay, what level of affection do you want it to be at? It's like uh, trusted a friend which is like 50 trusted is like 100 friendship uh friend is like 50 friendship and then like rival and and other ones it just kind of has all these different markers that you can choose it was really impressive i thought it was really cool so i if you have a pc version of this game like you should hop in and mess around this stuff it's actually pretty interesting um all that to say i did do that so that way one of us would have isabella going into Mm. the end of this game and also like if I had had more time, I would have just gone and done Legacy and done it proper. Mm. So, I, I... well, that, that that was the thing that was frustrating because, like, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go play through Legacy because I know there was like, I think you can get max like ten extra friendship I think with it's her like in that 10 one, ten or fifteen or something like that. It's it's yeah. ten because I know that 
I got that, and then it still didn't unlock, but when... <laughs> so, I was, like, five points away, and then, so, when I fucking did To Catch a Thief, it was over, and it was fine, and just, fuck. And God. the thing's frustrating, like, there are so many frustrating things, like, I think, like, if I had found, like, if I had taken her into the Fade, and instead of seeing the Aveline scene and saw her scene instead, I would have been able to get it then, or if I had, if I had found her gift, which, like, you can't go back and get, which fucking makes me so mad that you can't go back hmm. and to like like that they close off all these environments when you get past the like the quests that they were unlocked for uh-huh. it's just like can that fucking like five you points. spent more time with isabella is the problem well did not. <laughs> clearly um, I, I, yeah i just want to say that i got i was at a hundred with isabella like mm. <laughs> at the almost like at the beginning of Act Two. <laughs> mm. I, 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 it, to be fair to you guys, I took Isabella with me everywhere. I don't go without Isabella for anything apart no. from the deep roads. That was the only play- time I didn't take Isabella with me because Isabella is just part of my uh, companions at all times. <laughs> so I. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say we haven't asked you. I actually don't know the answer to this. Who do you romance in Dragon Age Two normally? Is it Isabella or? <laughs> it's Isabella. It's, yeah. I <laughs> I have only romanced one other companion, and I've played Dragon Age Two so many times, and it's always Isabella because Isabella is actually my favorite character in whole the Dragon Age, probably in all mm. video games. To be honest, I really love Isabella. Um, the only character outside of Isabella romance is Fenris, because uh, Fenris's romance is also god tier. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 really good. I one day I will romance Meryl. I um I only romance Anders for a little bit, and then I dump him for Isabella because making Anders sad makes me happy. But um. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> also because he's pretty much like Anders. Like ah, oh, I mean I know what. I know it's not an Anders episode, so I can't say shit, but I don't like Anders anyway. Um, oh, we always support dumping on Anders at any available opportunity. Trust me. He's just, he's such a fucking jerk because he's like, oh, Isabella, she's she's just going to throw you away and everything like that. And she, he does the same for Meryl and Fenris and he calls them like dogs or like witches mm-hmm. and everything. I'm like, dude, you are one to talk. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Oh, I hate Anders. <laughs> but yeah, I only do it Sally, so I can be like, well, I'm dumping you you for Isabella. Fuck you. And uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Isabella is my main love interest. And I think that's what, part of the reason why I like uh, the end of Act 2 so much. Because, mm. of course, it's, you know, the main uh, reason. Um, I mean, the main big thing with Isabella... Uh, eventually coming back. Sorry to spoil. <laughs> but like the, the main uh, reason for Isabella coming back is ro- romance, no, friendship or rivalry-wise rivalry is because she wants to be a better person or she cares about the people that she's left behind. But in the romance version, she, because I know you get codex entries that's like, Isabella, three years later or stuff like that. She, in, like, that changes depending on if you're a romance or rivalry with her. Mm-hmm. And in the codex for that one, she says that I didn't do it for them. Like, I didn't come back for them. I did it for you. And it was always about you. And it's just like... <laughs> I'm gonna cry. It's so good. It like, 
it's just like it's very like that scene where you know uh with Arashok and her and you like you basically fight for her it's like really mm-hmm. romantic like, like i know with dragon age inquisition there's a scene that's very similar to it and you know people are like oh this is great this is a great scene and it is a great scene in inquisition but I'm just like, hold on, like, Isabella did this first. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Isabella had that <laughs> scene first, and it was really fucking good. But, like, in like from, you know, a perspective of someone romancing Isabella, it's very much like you're fighting for her, and I find that really romantic, and I just, mm. like, ugh, it's just chef kiss. It's just, I just love it. Like, <laughs> I mean, you know... It's funny because when I played the scene where you have to choose between giving the book to Isabella or like saying no, we need to give it to the Canary, I played a hawk who was very uh, had good intentions towards Canary and but also obviously loved Isabella a lot. And she, so I actually said no, we need to give this to Canary and and Isabella obviously blew up. Mm-hmm. I really wish there was an option for like, no, I just want. Don't worry, I'll protect you. But, mm. but then again, Isabella has always managed to get away with things because she's looked after number one, and never depended on anyone. So, I think that's what makes her leaving so sad, and what makes her coming back so very important, because Isabella is not, and I say this in quotation marks, not a good character she's like no we're not even a good character not a good person mm-hmm. and she's done some very messed up things and it's funny actually because um somebody asked me well somebody who said there was a difference between uh if somebody asked me if there was a difference between what anders and isabella did and i'm like not to go into like act free at all like don't worry but it's just it's just very wild to me because it very much opened a conversation on the difference between Anders and Isabella and basically what happened and how it happened. And I feel like Isabella isn't a good person, but her coming back is her taking a step forward and being like, I want to be someone different or I'm doing it for you. Mm-hmm. And... And I think that's like huge for Isabella because throughout the act one and act two, it's she like Kenna has said, she's very much cares for herself. But she's also, um, in my opinion anyway, and like it's seen in like Legacy when she gets worried about Meryl and she gets she she worries about Aveline, she even worries about Anders and Fenris and Varric, and she's very much like oh, I don't care, I only care about myself. She's very much like one of those characters who's just like, I don't care about you at all. But then she's just like, kind of stirs off into this while like caring about you fiercely. Like, uh, like in, even in All That Remains, you know, in her romance scene, she's like, oh, there's other people that care and love about you. And then there's like this huge silence where she's like, like Aveline. And like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so clearly you are soft. <laughs> and, I, and I just love Isabella so much because I I feel like a lot of people look at Isabella and feel that she's lacking in depth because she's because we don't see her trauma as much as we see Anders or Fenris and I don't think that's true at all I think 
like Isabella is a very trauma like she's a very traumatized young woman she's and she's like been kicked out of love and as you find out in the comic she was literally sold by her mm-hmm. mother and it's like you know she's very much has to care about number one in the first place which is why I feel like like I know she's optional but I don't think she should have been personally mm. <laughs> because if she I feel like she adds too much to mm. act two to be pr- optional but I don't know that I am biased because I love Isabella a lot so I don't know that might just be me I think where I where I fall at and, and it's you know it we're obviously not there yet in the plot wise, but it's like you ha- when you talk about Isabella leaving, you have to talk about the potential of Isabella coming back. Um, but the way I feel about Isabella's kind of split here is the same I feel about Rex in Mass Effect One, where there is totally like you could easily mess that up and end up in a situation where you have to kill Rex in Mass Effect One. I know a lot of people the first time they play Mass Effect One, they end up killing rex because they don't have maxed out paragon or renegade or they didn't do the rex side quest or things like that and they end up in a situation where this character who ends up becoming such a huge part of the mass effect series as a whole is just not there anymore and isabella strikes me in the same way that they don't really broadcast that stuff is coming and I think compared so if you compare that to like other times in Bioware games where you have to make a decision about whether a companion is going to leave or stay, I feel like by and large Bioware does broadcast those things. You know, they'll be like in the build up to the big Vermeyer decision, you have this situation where you're having to split the two companions and then they're each kind of having their own uh, struggles in different places and you can almost kind of feel Shepard being torn between two different characters and like by the time it, it comes to the point where it's this big reveal that oh you're going to have to pick one to live and the other to leave behind to die uh, it, it feels inevitable but with Rex and with Isabella it's like no they've always kind of been their own character and now things have come to a head where they have to look out for themselves and it also fits their character that they look out for themselves they're not looking out for the good of hawk's mission or the good of shepherd's mission and you have either affected some level of change with that person like built that trust with them or you haven't and that's just what it is and that's that's the culmination of decisions that you've made in the game whether there is major as saying that you will give them the tome instead of giving it to the canary or whether it's as small as you didn't spend time with them you didn't hang out with them you didn't get to know them in the way that you did other characters so like when i think about the ways that bioware shines i know people always talk about like oh it's so cool like the uh you make these big changes that affect stuff over the course of games and all that but those are the moments that that get me because that's bioware showing you what the culmination of not just the decisions you intentionally make when the game goes okay here you go here's choice a and choice b here's the the benefits and the drawbacks pick one but this is like the culmination of little choices you didn't even realize you were making up to this point whether that was like i'm going to do things that isabella likes or i'm going to bring isabella along in the first place and, and choose to involve her in my hawk's life 
um i think that's really interesting and i do like it even though it is frustrating when you're in a situation where you want to keep isabella there um it, it it's almost like isabella's a character like she's going to choose what she's going to do and if you haven't put in the investment then she's not going to meet meet you there just so mm-hmm. you, you have that um i th- i think that's all very interesting it's the sort of thing that i mean i don't correct me if i'm wrong here y'all but i don't feel like inquisition has moments like this um i feel like no matter what you do in inquisition you don't really lose party members um i uh, i th- Am I, mis- I mean, am I misremembering something? I mean, you I can't. I, I know the ones that I, that I care about in Inquisition, there weren't really ways to, like, lose them. I mean, you can lose people, but there's not, like, a very definitive plot moment that happens where they you kind of, like, have to have hit a certain threshold. Because I think you, the way that it, it kind of goes on that game is you lose enough approval with them and then you kind of have that scene where they're like basically like they establish they don't want that you don't like each other and oh, it's like a questioning beliefs scene kind of kind of yeah and in some cases like i know with dorian like you can get into like a fist fight and then he just leaves yeah. and um so there's not like an isabella equivalent like kind of point of no return like where you have to mm-hmm. have it at a certain point by the by the time you get to this scene but there are ways that people can leave and yeah and you i think a lot of this comes down to decisions that they don't agree with and things like yeah that. yeah and i think that probably comes down to the fact that they don't they stop kind of like the bar the the uh approval bar is no longer visible like you just kind of like get like you have these little yeah, the text on the screen that says Dorian disapproves or something like that. But so you're not slightly like slightly disapproves. Slightly disapproves. <laughs> I remember that yeah. one specifically. <laughs> and it, I think that's, I think that's probably like a good reason for them to not have these things where like it'll sneak up on you because if they're not telegraphing that particular system to you, then it maybe could be viewed as unfair. Like, how was I supposed to know that I wasn't at you know high enough approval for this to happen? But, but if it wasn't codified, like, let, let me flip this around. If you didn't know that there was an exact number metric that you had to hit, would this be, would you feel differently about it? Like, about Isabella? Yeah. Like, if it, if there wasn't just a number metric, but, like, like if the game never told you that you had to hit whatever it is, like, 50 friendship or, or 50 on the bar uh, in either direction to have Isabella come back. Would you feel differently about that if it was just like, oh, well, you didn't spend enough time with her, so she didn't come back? I think in a scenario, when it's a numbers game, it bothers me more, but if it's like sort of like a black and white, like, oh, they view you this way because of this, not because, oh, you didn't take them on enough quests where they you, they saw you do something they liked. I think when it becomes like that there is like a point-based system happening it it would be more frustrating to me but if it can be like you know like what rex turns on you in mass effect 3 if you sabotage the genophage like you know definitive specific things rather than like it being the culmination of a lot of little things mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. i could i could see that i just i i think that and granted we are a podcast that is all about like digging into the specifics and the nuance i mean we literally use the wiki every week as a way to remind ourselves of things that we didn't see in our playthrough or just little fun interesting facts but i think that sometimes digging into those numbers ends up 
putting blinders on us for seeing what the numbers are trying to do because this is a video game at the end of the day it is a numbers game like something has to tick they have to have something coded in to say you did not do x things or x number of things so you will get y output and and it has to do that at the end of the day but um i don't know i'm interested by that but i i, I like the way that isabella is handled here uh just so we can move along to to where this is actually going with isabella coming back after we've returned um we we have to go talk to the Arashok and confront him about the elves that are taking um refuge at the canary compound as as we soon learn um the fugitive elves murdered a city guard that forced himself on their sister uh and when they reported it the authorities did nothing about it you can kind of confront aveline about this too and she's kind of just has this moment that's like um you know i'm going to look into it but that's not the thing right now which i was kind of like aveline that is kind of the thing right now (laughs) (laughs) um god aveline you're such a cop yeah i know um i i almost kind of wish that aveline had been a little bit more receptive to like 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 not been putting up such a strong opposition to the air shock even though like she kind of needed to but it was like i i wish she had kind of been like well that is a failing on our part and that's something we need to do she's just kind of like well that's not the problem right now we'll get back to that i'm like no we kind of need to talk about that right now it's kind of the reason we're in this mess right now um but even at that point it gradually becomes a thing of um the air shock uh reveals that this has kind of been a long time coming and he's been he's been frustrated you know he's been living on this island he can't find his relic he can't go home and he wants he's like if i'm going to keep living here like what choice would you give me hawk if i'm going to keep living here I can't live in this broken city. And he starts talking about like how everything is broken. He's using the the elves as, as like the jumping off point, but he's like, um, you know, he can't, he can't stay or he can't leave without the relic and he can't stay and remain blind to the dysfunction around him. And eventually he's like, there's only one option left. And that's when he just gives the order. And all of a sudden the Canaries start throwing their spears at Hawk and the rest. And, war breaks out within kirkwall um and i gotta tell you this is like this is incredible i love this whole section so much it's just Mm -hmm. this this moment where you feel like there has been this conflict simmering under the surface and now it finally boils over and just the whole city is in ruins as the canary are laying siege and and like the slow realization as you go through the section where you bring back some of your companions and you start fighting your way to the keep with Aveline and um, uh, you, you just kind of realize that the Canari have been planning, clearly been planning this for a long time. Like this is not a spur of the moment outburst of anger. Like they have been prepared to take over Kirkwall uh, for a while. And Oh, it's a, it's just a really cool moment. It was the moment that also solidified the Aeroshock for me as this fascinating antagonist because he is like, I, I see what is wrong in the city. I see it every day. And I'm going to, like, everyone in the story, every major player in the story sees 
that Kirkwall is a broken city and they just each have their own way of how they think they're going to fix it. And for the Aeroshock, he believes that he just needs to take control of the entire city and force everyone to become a part of the Kune and then he'll be able to enforce order that way. Um, and he's he's so he's so cool i like their shock a lot (laughs) um but as we start fighting our way to the keep we actually end up running into a group of great wardens where at this point if any of us had chosen to um if we had brought our sibling along on the deep roads expedition and also had anders there uh we would have had we we would meet our uh, sibling, sibling here and have a little moment with them otherwise we just meet stroud uh who just kind of gives us an update we can also meet alistair who who is there uh in in place of stroud if he was not king and we imported our origin save from that uh i felt like that was a little bit of a strange thing until i realized that that's there so that way you can see your sibling again if they did survive the deep rose mm-hmm. otherwise it's just kind of this weird scene where it's like Oh hey, it's the Great Wardens. How you doing? Mm. Nice to meet <laughs> <does>, you. Bye. <laughs> and it does the the fucking the Dragon Age thing where they like vaguely hint that something is happening, but nothing's uh-huh. actually happening. <laughs> so it's well, about the Great Wardens too. <laughs> yeah, mm. and, and and also like the Great Wardens are never up to shit. Like they're they're not doing anything. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, but it's it's the people we meet on the way up to the keep that are a little bit more interesting which is first uh knight commander meredith who finally we finally meet her after hearing all about her um at first i'm not gonna lie like i i tried to come into this to see to try and see both these characters in their own light and the first time you meet knight commander meredith she rules she is awesome <laughs> yeah she just straight up <laughs> murders a sarah boss and is like hawk i've your name keeps coming up in my reports an unsettling number of times and stuff like that and i'm like man meredith you're freaking cool you're cool oh she she pointed out for me that um i'm carver's brother and i was like that's not the family relation i would have expected anyone in this town to know me by but i guess that makes sense for you <laughs> yeah it's 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 cool and at first i was like all right cool night commander meredith all right and then by the time act three started i was like man i fucking hate night commander meredith (laughs) (laughs) um she starts out good first impression what with all the murdering and such and then soon afterwards we uh have another encounter where we find first enchanter orsino who's the leader of the mages circle uh and for me this is where uh i found bethany she was like pretty wounded and orsino uh heals her back and that's kind of the moment where um at, at this point the sibling can confront you about hey you know we haven't talked since our mother died for bethany she makes kind of a snide comment about it yeah um, so, far, right? so. I, yeah i was surprised by bethany doing that i guess i guess they start to kind of play that narrative a little bit more now that bethany is not a member of your party anymore but like we talked way back in act one about how bethany was kind of the the nice sibling and carver was like the antagonistic one and here like bethany is definitely a little bit more jaded i think you mm-hmm. can tell that she is she has now seen 
what the city is and has changed because of it um mm-hmm. at this point uh they start arguing i i suggested i was like they were arguing about who gets to lead and i was like okay how about i lead i'm going mm-hmm. to <laughs> hawk and bethany's <laughs> like that's original <laughs> and, um but then we have to choose between two plans um to to storm the gates and get into the keep which is where all the important people in uh kirkwall have been rounded up so that way they can consolidate power you know taking over a city 101 (laughs) uh so i went with orsino's plan here Mm -hmm. both because the cutscene is great because he Mm -hmm. just gets to be awesome but also because that like skips a pretty major battle and also because meredith's plan is stupid where she's just like let's just charge them let's let's charge the fortified enemy position (laughs) what's the worst that could happen um can i I don't know what you went with oh yeah or soon anything to undermine meredith was a-okay by me oh yeah (laughs) yeah i went the templar no (laughs) no thank you um but once we fight our way inside uh everyone else the the templar and the mages are kind of involved outside so it's just our party that gets in and fights into the viscount's throne room where we then uh find that uh the Airshock has beheaded Viscount Dumar. And uh so that's that. That's t- that that's a thing that has happened. Mm. <laughs> um and at this point if we are not a worthy rival of the Airshock, we have to fight a couple of Canari and then he um I forgot what uh the phrase is, but basically calls you like a respected warrior or whatever mm. in the Canari um for yeah, beating like his back- honor guard. Yeah, it's like Basil it on. Yeah, Basil it on or something like that. Um, anyways, at this point, now, if we had either romanced... Is, now, Ken, I, I double-checked this, because obviously in my playthrough, I am romancing Meryl. However, I did sleep with Isabella at one point. So, initially, she did not show up for me here. And that's when I realized I had to go back and... and tick that box and and get everything moving again Mm. Uh, because i thought that if you had slept with isabella at any point uh it worked apparently you had to actually like romance her is what Mm. i understand so in that conversation you have to not give her the it's just fooling around uh answer which by the way i i forgot to bring this up but in the questioning beliefs that you have with her where she talks to you about like for me, she talked to me about Meryl and stuff like that, but also you can just talk to her. You can still totally flirt with Isabella and like mm. have romance lines with her and stuff where you can make a joke about like, um, oh, I thought you only enjoyed my company in the bedroom. And so like they, they freely mentioned the fact that, um, that Hawk and Isabella have slept together, but that Hawk is now dating Meryl and all that. And I was like, man, that's really cool. Dragon Age 2, still really good about romance and, like, the complications of romance. That's cool. Um, But it's at this point that Isabella turns back up with the relic and hands it over to the Airshock. uh, And we have to make a decision about whether we're going to turn Isabella over to the Airshock. Um, So, obviously, (laughs) even though if we choose to do that, uh it would then peacefully settle this matter and we we would not have to continue to do the rest of this 
we are not handing Isabella over because <laughs> that's no. kind of messed up. Can uh, you like trust anyone who hands Isabella over? <laughs> I don't trust people. Even even like Aveline, like everyone in your party is like happy to see Isabella back, and like um, Meryl was really excited, and Aveline, even Aveline was like, "Look, I'm mad with you, but we'll take care of this later. We're not handing you over to the Aeroshock. Like this is mm. our problem to deal with, not the Aeroshocks." Um, yeah. You get actually you get rivalry points with Aveline if you hand Isabella over. Um, even Aveline knows it's the wrong option. It's yeah. just wrong. <laughs> even the cop in your party knows it's the wrong option. <laughs> um, so then we either fight the group with our group, you know, the group of Canari with our group, or we can do a one-on-one fight with the Aeroshock, which is obviously what I'm assuming we all did. Ken, did <laughs> you do the duel as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ken. Mm-hmm. This duel's hard, man. So, <laughs> so okay. I want you were you are a mage. I want mm-hmm. you to tell me how you won this duel. So, I my my specialization is a force mage, and I was surprised to realize that the air shock, despite being like a boss level, like a boss tiered enemy, is susceptible to a lot of that shit. So, a lot of this was me just like throwing him around the room and like using a lot of because uh, like he. He's fairly predictable in how he uh, fights, because, like, he mainly is, like, trying to stay as close to you as possible so, like, I could, you know, throw, out a, throw down some fire spells that were going to, you know, be area effect and kind of, like, walk through him and he would follow me through the fire. Or I would, um, like, like use the fourth main stuff to at least kind of, like, funnel him into one place where I could just kind of unload all my spells. Um, it does get kind of silly at some points because, like, as I was waiting for cooldowns to come back, I literally just had to, like, run away from him, like, around the room, <laughs> yeah. as, like, all these yeah. other Canari yeah. are just, like, standing like there, like, stoically. Around the pillars. Yeah, yeah like, and they're... What... I was gonna yeah. ask if you did the very well, like, the most renowned circle around the Irish Shark for a good half an hour, waiting for cooldowns. That's the only yeah. thing to use as a mage. That pretty much was what was going on the whole time. And it's, it's like, like I said, it's very silly. Especially when none of the other characters that are in the room react to anything that happens. So everyone else is just like stoically standing in the corners with their arms crossed. And I'm just like booking it, trying to stay away from this man who is like charging at me like a bull. And, you know, so like, I mean, it is difficult, all things considered. But I didn't have like a huge amount of problems with it. Surprise, just because like, I was surprised always that he like, he is technically a boss-level character, but he does not have the same sort of immunities a lot of them do in this game. So I was able to manipulate the fight in the way that I normally would most other enemies do. Okay, so you basically kited the air shock around and whittled him down using magic mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing a dual-blade rogue, <laughs> um, which means that I am squishy, and I like to be up close. And normally, uh, I'm letting someone like Aveline garner a lot of the aggro that I would normally draw. Uh, so that way, I can just kind of do my assassinates and stuff. And, and here's here's some more context that you need to know. Um, the Aeroshock has a few, few moves that are high wind-up that you can easily tell are coming. And a few that have surprisingly little wind up. And one of those is the one where he guts you and hangs you, like, like 
puts you up in the air on his sword and slashes you with his other sword. Um, also, there he has some moves that even if he suddenly, like, even if you are not even close to the move, it will still hit you if you were, like, within the range of the move when he started to wind up. Like, there's a big swing that he does that even if you're not in, like, the neighborhood of it, once he finishes it, you will still get hit by it for some reason. And also, if you get hit, you're going to get hit twice because the recovery for Hawk standing back up is pretty bad. So if you get, like, wall-pinned or something, basically dead. All of this is to say that for... A good few, let's say, five or six tries, I was really struggling to fight this Damn. dude. Because, also, a lot of my big abilities... Oh, stop being a dick. <laughs> a lot of my really big abilities, like Assassinate or Twin Fang, uh, have big wind-up and big recovery for me. And he was not getting like knocked back or taking any amount of flinch from the moves that i was doing especially assassinate which is like my big damage dealing move uh i would just hit him with it and he'd take a lot of damage but then he just hit me right back and so we'd both back off and use our health potions and be back to the amount of health that we were at before and i was like cool that didn't do anything (laughs) that was when i went online and I looked up and it was like strats for rogues to beat the era shock. And of course, everyone was like, oh, just use a bow. Even if you use like a cheap bow, you can just kite them around and you win it easy. And I'm like, well, A, I don't have any bows. And B, I'm not that much of a weenie. I'm going to beat this era shock. <laughs> I just need the tip. How do I, how, what's, what's the strat? What's the killer strat? And that was when I found out and, and people had posted that, yes, uh, he is oddly susceptible to stun moves moves that cause stun mm-hmm. and i tell you at some point while we had been doing this podcast i've been looking up because i i do always find it interesting to see what people have min maxed out as like the optimal builds for different characters and for twin blade rogue which is arguably one of the highest damage dealing like has the highest damage dealing potential of any character in this game is like a rogue hawk uh people were like don't take that miasmic flask ability it's not useful it's not good it's the one that's an Mm. aoe stun (laughs) Mm. and i was like no i want that i like to be able to stun people and screw you guys so here i was like ha finally (laughs) those points i invested way back when are paying off vindicated and i just stun locked that dude and stabbed stabbed him over and over again and that's how i won and i was like oh my god it really was that easy (laughs) also (laughs) if you summon your mabari does nothing in this battle absolutely nothing your your babari pal doesn't even draw aggro most of the time like i would stealth to try run away and see if he would the air shock would just be like okay i'll fight the dog now so i could then you know have that distraction and instead uh he was he just stood there while the mabari was like barking at him and that was it <laughs> like i was just like god useless dog <laughs> so mm. Ultimately, I did beat the Era Shock, and I felt really good about it. But yeah, but we once you beat the duel, you get the great death of the Era Shock scene, um, and Meredith and Orsino walk in and congratulate you, and that's the end. Um, We're the champion of Kirkwall. We are now the champion of Kirkwall. 
Um, and, and it is funny that Cassandra even says that it's it's very romantic that Hawk so defeated the Arishok. Yeah. <laughs> you you see like you see that hint of Cassandra's character as as it gets revealed in Inquisition start to come through where she's like, Oh, it's romantic. Uh, <laughs> um and, and that's where it really does start to reveal that what Cassandra is actually interested in is what has happened in 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 act three the things that are going to happen in act three so we'll we will start to talk more about that uh not next week but the week after that because next week we will be talking about the legacy dlc we will once again be having caitlin gully's row on to talk about that very excited to have them on the show again uh and i've never played legacy so i'm really interested to see what that is um but amy before we let you go here uh, just give me kind of your your rundown on why you like Dragon Age two so much because we wanted to have you on the show because obviously as you've expressed so far you're a big fan of Dragon Age two but give me kind of the rundown on why this game means a lot to you. Um, Dragon Age two came uh, at a time when I was very lonely because I I'd only just realized that I was queer, and mm. so when I got the game. And obviously I had friends in high school and everything, but it was the cast of characters mm-hmm. whom I really loved because they, well, the majority of them are all queer. And I I was a very lonely kid because I really wanted queer friends. And like, you know, you, you get told as a kid that, oh, it's going to get better. And of course it does. But at the time you're just like, oh, well, I, I'm lonely and I'm sad. And so a lot of the time I spent was in video games and Dragon Age 2 was the game that really made me think, okay, I'm going to eventually find these group of people who may not always agree with me but we are connected in different ways and I'm really looking forward to that and I also feel like Dragon Age 2 especially with introducing like really great female characters like Aveline and Meryl and Isabella and Bethany I, I felt really connected to them as characters in the way I, I didn't quite feel with mm-hmm. Morrigan and Liliana and I felt like they were kind of like my family for a long time because I basically was a lonely bullied kid in high school and for Dragon Age 2 it's always been like a safe space and going back to what we said before like playing this game again I realized how relevant Dragon Age 2 still is in its issues like how it deals with immigration and even how it deals with same-sex romance Mm-hmm. and everything like, I feel like it's still very relevant and I could literally write a book about Dragon Age 2 if I was given <laughs> the option to do so so uh, boss fight book uh, you can call <laughs> me somehow uh, if you want me to write Dragon Age 2 I'm here and I'm free to talk about it but yeah I, I could waffle about Dragon Age 2 for ages but I, I don't want to do that to you guys <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, but, it just is like you mentioned there that like you felt more attachment than you did to like morgan or liliana and i when you said that like i i felt that because i i'm sitting here and i'm thinking about where i where we were at at this point in origins when we were playing it you know about like the two-thirds way through and mm-hmm. i knew next to nothing about most of my party characters i didn't really care much about them and i didn't have much of a drive to want to get to know them more whereas here in dragon age 2 
oh my god i love this cast of misfits they're so great they're everyone and and you know sebastian's just kind of over there to the side you know he's doing whatever he's doing (laughs) uh but you know they can't all be winners (laughs) but um everyone in this cast is so memorable and so like it it does remind me in a way of mass effect 2 again and maybe that's why it like sparks so much love for this cast for me is that a lot of these characters end up you know with the exception of Varric not really appearing in other dragon age games or like playing major roles like so obviously anders as a character has a huge role to play in Mm -hmm. the dragon age world but he's not you know he doesn't become a major character in the way that say alistair or morrigan or leliana does like those characters become major npcs major quest givers major like focal points of the story whereas like isabella just kind of has this one thing that she does but i feel like that makes dragon age 2 stand on its own so well independently of being part of the larger dragon age series it just ends up being this incredible standalone game without having to have any knowledge of dragon age going into it and i think that's that's to its benefit in some ways and and these companions are so darn memorable god i I love all of them we'll play more dragon age after this (laughs) (laughs) i i miss them so much i hope dragon age 4 includes some of them because i would not forgive if there's no fenris in dragon age yeah i was going to like they're they're doing that fenris comic series right now i believe and Mm -hmm. so that would be that would be a little strange for them to build up fenris as a character and then not have him show back up but um weirder things have happened in the dragon age canon as ken would love to tell you (laughs) Mm. um that's going to do it for our episode here as always we are normandy fm we have a patreon patreon.com slash normandy fm where you can go and support us help keep the lights on help cover the costs that we have for buying the games that we play because we are moving on to jade empire after dragon age we hit the goal and we have we have marked that out so after we get through dragon age inquisition which looks like it will take us through the rest of the massively long hell year that is 2020 um once we get through this finite yet seemingly infinite amount of time uh, we will be playing jade empire we're very excited about that if you want to push us to higher goals you can head over there and support us on patreon get us towards that kotor that anthem maybe even the fan voted community game if we get that high uh you can force us to play greedfall again Ugh. oh bloody hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> um as always we do love to shout out the patrons that donate at a certain tier and this week that is kevin kulikowski Ginny Wu, chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds and just <laughs> i love that all of you are keeping that alive and also not changing your names and it is that every week and i have to say just like five times because all because of one thing that kenneth decided to do (laughs) in our in our back notes um amy thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your love of dragon age with us and for talking all things isabella and and erishok and the wonderfulness that is dragon age 2 we love having you on every chance we get hopefully we're gonna do this again for inquisition as well Oh yeah, I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me on. I could gush about Dragon Age 2 all day, so this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
we're gonna get out of here we're probably gonna go play some more dragon age 2 we will see you next week for some legacy on We have watched and waited 